I went to a public university in Kenya and there's something really interesting that I saw when I was there. And I feel like this is where the breeding ground for negative ethnicity in politics starts. Look at the ex, how many ex-university students, leaders do we have as people holding higher offices? So many of them, right? So that is why we thought, let us target these people when they are in their higher learning institutions. Welcome back to the 2030 podcast, another week, another episode, and we're so grateful that you could join us once again for another conversation this week. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing good, my brother. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. A very interesting conversation happened last week, and uh, but a lot of comments, stories are Benton's and all. It's, uh, oh. it's inter- yeah, it's interesting to it's inter- it's interesting to see uh, people's views on that topic. Um, people are very mixed about it. Just I guess just as mixed as we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as always, it's always nice to engage with you. Um, whenever you connect with us, we feel good because at the end of the day, like we mentioned, we see numbers, but when we hear your voices, your voices, yeah, it, it makes you much, much more. exactly. It means that you're a part of the conversation, and this podcast is for you. So thank you so much for joining us once again. So Tim, yeah. tell me a little bit about what we're discussing. What we're discussing today. So now we are uh, about 11 months mm-hmm. from the next general election. Yep. If not 10 months, 10 to 11 months uh, mm-hmm. to the next general election. And this is the time where the youth mm-hmm. and politicians become best of friends, best buddies, <laughs> joined at the hip. Something from you. And these are people it wearing that time. Air Jordans. Air Jordans are in play. Yes, I'm, they I'm, will pose pictures wearing Air Jordans. I'm seeing Vers- <laughs> I've been seeing Versace, uh, Versace shirts as well. <laughs> I won't mention names, but it's it, it's interesting to see how far um, our yeah. leaders will go to ensure that we are on board with them. But it's important for us as youth to, to Chanuke, for us to know exactly what our role is as citizens, because it seems like every time elections come about, we forget that we are Kenyans, that we are brothers and sisters, and that yeah. uh, at the end of the day, who, whoever we support the tribe that we're in is what determines our moral stance. And um, it, it ends up messing us up. And of course, now, the issue team that I've seen is that, unfortunately, ever since the 2007 elections, there's just been a, a, a ripple effect of fear every time the elections come about. And it's yeah. it's really not good, especially for people in business, for example, people in business and tourism in general. Those two aspects are really affected because now people are just trying to safeguard themselves, fearing that something else is going to come up. Yeah, people who tend to hold on to their cash more closely. They don't release it sooner. Exactly. And it's, and, it's, and it's really unfortunate. And I'm sure that amongst many other fears are some of the things that are happening, not only in the youth, but just in the general public. That's what I want to discuss today. Also, tend to discuss it. And today, we're joined with a very special guest. Um, her name is Belinda, but I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thank you so much, um, Timothy and Josh, for having me for your wonderful podcast. My name is Belinda Odeg, and I'm the executive director and founder of Bridge Africa Advocacy Foundation. Um, I founded Bridge Africa in March 2019. The first event we had was at uh, Kenyatta University. Now, the reason why I founded Bridge Africa is because of what happened in this country in 2007 post-elections. So I come from an extended family. 
Um, that means that I have more than one mother. Um, I have foster brothers and sisters who are not Luo. Some of them are Kikuyus. Some, some of one of them is Kamba. So with what was happening in 2007, I don't have to let you know what we went through. So I just vowed after that that I'm going to do something to teach our people better, you know, to make sure that our people understand that we can we can differ in our political ideologies and we can come from different tribes but still coexist you know, peacefully with each other before, during, and even after elections. That elections don't have to make us fight each other or become wild or chase each other from where we're staying together peacefully before it. And fortunately also, I happen to have good networks. So in 2016, there's a group of young people in, in the United States who started um, this bridge movement just to um, cushion young people against um, some elements of political violence that were building up uh, in the run up to the election, to the election of, of 2016. So Manu Mill and uh, Jonathan Ampelo and Rose Irene, they started uh, a discussion in campus at UC Berkeley in, in the US, just and involved, they were involving young people from the different political divides, whether you are Republican or Democrat to talk about the need to let people express their views despite their political leanings and also teach them about democracy and teach them about how to coexist peacefully despite the fact that they don't agree politically. Then I was like, wow, I mean, so I feel like Africa needs this the most, Kenya needs this the most. So that is why I, I that now gave me the strength, the real strength to launch Bridge Africa. So we have Bridge USA and we have Bridge Africa and then there is Bridge Europe and now there's Bridge New Zealand and there's bridge um, Russia. Now, what we do in a nutshell is we are mostly working with um, Gen Z to build the next generation of leaders that value empathy and constructive engagement because we don't have that. Thank you. Once again, we're so grateful for you being a part of this conversation. And so I think we'll kick it off like this. So Tim, um, a couple of years ago, it's uh, in 2007, we had what the post-election violence happened the way they happened. And like we mentioned earlier, it did have a ripple effect, but let's just look back at what happened on that day, um, just from each other's viewpoints. So, so like Tim, your day, where were you at that time? Can you remember? Um, yeah, I was at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Langata, by the way, someplace and on the lower end of Langata, which is very close to Kibra, where the chaos started because the chaos started in Kibra and in Kondele in Kisumu almost simultaneously. Those are the those, that's where everything began, and then it spread out to um, I think it was Salga Urban Forest in Eldoret, and then we now know what happened after that. So it was just a normal afternoon. You know, I was in high school, I think, from two, even from two, from one, in high school. So as as any normal high schooler, you're happy to be home. You are like surprised at what the euphoria is all about in terms of the presidency and why it's so important that somebody needs to hold on to power and all that. Um, but I remember, because my family was monitoring the election and I don't want to go into the details of it, uh, I believe we all went to bed when one candidate was leading and we woke up the next morning when another entirely different candidate was leading by a mile. So that's what I believe sparked the violence. But as I said, in where we were, immediate, I think there was a petrol station that was burnt somewhere in Kibra, and you could see the billowing smoke rising, the thick dark smoke rising up. And you are wondering, like, is this 
the Kenya we've all known, you know, it felt sort of like a movie of some sort. And uh, now the real impact of it now came for me when I went back to high school after after the holidays and some of my classmates didn't report back. And particularly classmates who were of a different ethnic group because I schooled in Nyanza in Kisumu. Uh-huh. So we had Kikuyu classmates, very many of them, who are my, some of whom were my friends. Uh-huh. And they never came back to class. And we had also teachers who were from that ethnic group and they never came back to class. So uh-huh. uh, some of them up to now, I don't know where they are. I don't know whether they survive. I, I don't know. So it was traumatic for everyone. And to think that all that happened just because of getting someone to state house or because of somebody's interest in getting state to state house. Yes, leadership is important, but I really don't think leadership is worth any Kenyan's life in any way, any form, shape or man. And that's why we're having this discussion because if you look at the demographic of people who initiated the violence in 2007, it was mostly young people and politicians know that young people are emotional, they have the energy and they have, they can go out of their way or they can put themselves in danger to fight for quote unquote a political cause. Mm. And I hope this discussion will help all of us stay woke. And Belinda, can you remember where you were in 2007? How was it from your viewpoint? So um, in 2007, basically after elections, um, that whole situation found all of us in the village, you know, all of us. So um, when the chaos started, normally we gather together as a family every December and we try as much as possible to ensure that all the siblings are there just to enjoy family time together. So, you know, you're happy. We're supposed to go to Oyugi's and do some shopping, you know, and also go to Kisi and get some of the things we can get from Yugi's. And then all of a sudden we can't go. Why? Because people are throwing stones and we are going to get hurt. And also we hear that our family is a target because we have infidels. So the infidels are the people who are non-laws who are in our family. Those are my siblings I'm talking about. Okay. So we, we can't, we can't go out and have fun as we had planned. And like uh, Timothy said, we, we went to bed knowing who had won the elections because of what IABC had displayed on, on our screens. And then we woke up to total chaos. A different person was being announced as president. And so it threw all of us into confusion. But we were still like, you know what, the way we normally enjoy our Christmas or December holidays, we're still going to just enjoy it. We did know that there was so much tension that has built up already so much tension that you could actually cut through the night you know yeah and so getting out going to yogi's town that is when now we got the real picture of what is happening it was just chaotic i'm telling you it was chaotic yeah i was much younger at the time but when we used to stay to save the sides of jamhuri and in that place where you are it was also fairly close to to kibra and I can remember seeing the, just like you, Tim, I remember seeing the, all the, the cloud of smoke um, happening there. But the thing is, where we stayed was, it was pretty much a gated community. So I didn't see the effects of what was happening, not until much afterwards when we started walking out and we started seeing how markets, because I remember we used to stay around Toy Market at the time. And uh, at Toy Market, there where our church uh, actually was, 
remember things were just burnt every every market every store was just burnt down everyone that was around it was just burnt down and it was a very crazy sight to see and a very scary sight to see especially now and then many years later I thank God at that time, I guess I was shielded by my parents. So many years later, it's when I saw the after effect, really, when you start seeing the news reports, when you start seeing hands being cut, you see all those gruesome pictures really painting a picture of really exactly what happened. Because until you're actually like in the center of it, you don't see it as much. But I thank God for the media who portrayed that picture. But my question is this, in spite of what we, in spite of what we saw, the gruesome images and everything that happened, yeah. we seem to forget. We seem to forget, like, We'll complain, we'll, we'll elect a leader, we'll complain about the leaders, then five love them years. again for, for five, exactly. Then after those five years have expired, we start, we start loving them again. We renew our vows. That's what we're exactly. It's a toxic relationship, and then after every five years, we renew our vows. Exactly. We've been abusing then, for the last five years. Exactly. And then we love them all over again, like they didn't do anything. And you're willing to fight. And like, it was just crazy to see that you could be a neighbor. You could have a neighbor who would, you could beat a neighbor, you could slash a neighbor for somebody who you've never met, somebody who may never know your name, and somebody who you'll complain about the moment he sits on that seat. So my question is, why is, why do we do this to ourselves every year? Why do you think that as a general population, the youth, the everybody, why do you think that we go back to the same cycle over and over again? Why do we forget? So, you, you know, you know what happens is that um, now what, what drives our Kenyan political space? That is what we have to ask ourselves. What tickles you as a young person um, when a politician comes to you and says, uh, vote for me, vote for my party because of ABCD? What gets into your mind? Like what? Where is your buy-in point? Yani, what, what do they tell you to make you uh, follow them so much that you forget yourself? That you forget somebody that you've lived with together for so long, all of a sudden they become your enemy. We have to understand uh, the fact that all these tensions and frustrations and even people starting to fight each other comes from some of the issues that we deal with, okay? The equal inequalities, you know, uh, of distribution of resources, for example, you know, the lies of uh, we are building a factory here and then all of a sudden that factory is going to be built somewhere else. So people lack in some regions when we view um, other people to have more than what they need or more than what they deserve and we view ourselves as though we are denied what we also um, rightfully deserve because we're also citizens of this country. So the inequalities in different regions in terms of resource allocations is, is one of the factors I would say. But what we have to understand now, for example, what Bridget Figure is telling young people is that um, you can't have your neighbor become your enemy because of what the government did or didn't do. Now, that's where the problem is. We listen to our politicians mm. so much so that we forget mm. where the real problem is and we forget to talk about the real issues that we have. Then now we get back to them by turning, turning, turning on our neighbors, hacking them to death or beating them or harming their children. Or burning down their houses, you know. So that's that's what the problem is. So I feel like we need to discuss the issues that cause political violence. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's one of the main issues. And um, I'd also say, like she said, the inequalities in the distribution of resources has created sort of like a, what can I call it, economic there are like economic loopholes within the society 
And most of these economic loopholes affect the youth, a majority of the youth. And anytime you see uh, people demonstrating, going to the streets to demonstrate on behalf of politician X or politician Y, when you uh-huh. dig deeper into it, because I've covered some of these elections, I've gone to some of these rallies, I've covered some of the riots that happen when you get see on TV, you always find that more often than not, these people are on the youth's pay, on the politician's payroll. So you're given 500 shillings to go out and throw stones at a police station or something like that. And I always wonder, why would you risk your own life just for maybe 500 shillings or 200 shillings or 100 shillings? And if you look beneath the surface, it's the issue of poverty and unemployment Uh and politicians have learned they have struck a nerve with that they know it they know that they are not doing enough to help alleviate poverty among the population and the sad part is they exploit that every five years for their own benefit and generally when you look at it and i think we as the population we as the youth are also often to blame because anytime a politician comes out somebody who has integrity somebody who does not want to pay people to support them somebody who is for development economic development without having to give out handouts more often than not such candidates don't do well at the ballot but Tima, because we tend to vote for the person who will put money in my pocket directly but Tima, which is sad but true but Tima, i'm hungry I'm hungry. I've not gotten, I've not got, I don't have food to eat like right now. I don't have a job. I'm unemployed. I have somebody who's not only promising me a job, but is giving me money immediately. Mm. Why shouldn't I line up with that person? Why shouldn't I? I always answer that question. I always answer that question this way. And it may be unorthodox, but I think if it was me, I've never been in such a situation, but if it was me, this is how I would handle it. Fine, so Josh, you want to be my area MP. I've never seen you for five years. All of a sudden, you've knocked at my door. I've told you I'm hungry, and you've offered to give me 500 shillings or a bag of unga or whatever. I will take it, uh-huh. but I will not vote for you at the ballot. I will vote for somebody who can give me a long-term solution because I know this 500 that you've given me today, I will never see you again until after five years. Uh-huh. So fine, I will not refuse the money. I will not refuse the bag of Mahindi or Runga or anything, I'll take it. But when I go to vote, I will look for somebody whom I feel can actually make a great impact and change me so that I don't depend on handouts in future. The sad part is people take the money and still vote for the same, same person who's going to suppress you for the next five years. There is nothing wrong with agreeing, fine, but provide a long-term solution to the problem. If we all approach it that way, in my opinion, I think we would be making a step towards the right direction. It might not solve the problem immediately, but we will be heading there somehow. And I like the way Timothy has said, the last thing he said, that uh, dialogue is important. So we start from dialogue. It may not be the solution, but it's a great way to start. Now, uh, the bottom line is all the challenges and the problems that we have as a country, and especially among the young people, especially the problem of unemployment. Do you know what? Uh, it is true, Timothy, you 
saying that uh, young people take money from politicians because of poverty, because they need to eat something or they need to buy something or they need to provide it for. How do we solve then the issue of unemployment so we can also fix our political economy? Now, if, for example, uh, some of our platforms, we tell young people not just to wait until they finish university and then look for jobs. You know why? Because there are certain entrepreneurial skills that just need to be cultivated within them so that they can also become job creators, not just people seeking for employment. You understand? But how do I do business when, the, for example, the economy is overly regulated so that if I want to start a business, half of my capital will go, will go to the government, you know, to get permits, pay for this and that. So what is the most important thing to do? We have to continue to organize such platforms to have conversations like what we're having now, then come up with resolutions that will turn into petitions and memorandums and we share to the government to lobby for policy changes. Now, that is the real positive change that we can create as young people. But even before we do that, do we even know how to talk to each other? Now, if you pay attention to the way we talk to each other, we talk to each other so well until we start discussing politics. Then now it, beca- it turns yeah. into insults. It mm-hmm. becomes about what tribe you come from. Yeah. It becomes about what political party you belong yeah. to, right? So what we do, for example, at Bridge Africa is basically teaching people how to have political conversations with each other, how to have solution-oriented political conversations with each other. And we have done that by coming up with uh, something called the bridge mindset, okay? So in the bridge mindset, we have two segments. How do you jump into a sensitive conversation, like a political conversation? Then when you jump in, how do you have it? You know, so you have to be humble, you have to be respectful, you have to understand that you don't know everything, you have to understand that everything you're going to propose is not the solution to the problem that you have, and you have to give somebody time to talk. And then also we we have come up with certain norms that govern our discussion platforms, like, you know, you don't interrupt someone when they're speaking, you don't um, automatically hear that I'm Luo and you just assume I belong to ODM, you don't expect (laughs) me to speak for ODM. You know, yeah. you understand yeah. such, you know, such small, small things, but they're the ones that matter. Because once we learn how to have civil conversations, then you can begin to learn to have solution-oriented conversations. And then we can have policy changes because then we are going to have resolutions. We don't have to agree, but you can just present everybody's opinion for consideration, for possible um, incorporation to become uh, policy changes you know, in, in various sectors. And that is how we can change our country. We can change our political economy, change our I mean, economic situation as a country. And then, you know, when you do away with the issue of unemployment, when you lower the poverty levels, then the problem of politicians using young people every five years will come to an end because they find us too busy. You know, we have things we're doing, we're generating income, you know, we don't need their money. But for as long as poverty is here with us, we need, we will still run to I them. I like that. I like that a lot because hunger, yeah. I, I was actually telling my wife the other day that I feel one of the, like the biggest curse that Africa has, has is that curse of poverty and hunger. Because the moment hunger now drives all of your decisions, you'll always think of the short term. Always, yeah. constantly think of the short term. That's why uh, a 500 bob bribe from a five and let me call it a bribe from a politician who look way more appealing than a manifesto by somebody who looks like a genuine candidate somebody may not even take the time to go through a manifesto to see what is this guy bringing to the table all they know is yeah. you gave me food to eat i'm just gonna i'll give you my vote and see the thing is we i think that we as Kenyans don't see the value of our vote we really don't see the value of our vote and honestly 
I kind of had that kind of, I also kind of had that problem in the last elections because you wonder, okay, basically, like I, like last, like in the last elections, you, you basically feel like there are only two candidates. Often you feel like there are only two candidates. And so you'll want to feel like, let me give my vote to where it counts or where it can possibly win. You see, it's almost it's like almost mm-hmm. like you're placing a bet. You want to make sure that this this vote of mine actually counts. And so we'll always go with whatever is popular and never go for what we truly believe is is the true and um, and the right way to go based on a manifesto, based on what you've heard, based on that civil conversation that you're actually talking about. So what can you tell a person who doesn't feel like me does not feel like my vote actually counts? Like I feel like I have to make it. I have to make it count by joining the majority. What would you say to somebody like that? Well, you know, like I said, um, it is very simple. You may not be able to convince somebody immediately, but uh, the more we talk, we have open, constructive conversations. They will begin to see sense. Okay. The more we talk, they will begin to see sense. Because imagine somebody who doesn't even know where the next meal is mm-hmm. coming from. And then you're telling them, hey, you go and vote mm-hmm. wisely. You know, go and vote wisely. Does it solve that? Does it really solve the problem of anger, for example, or hunger? It doesn't, right? So the 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 the, the problem we have, the frustration we have comes from our systems as well. Okay. Where I go vote, for example, I, I vote for party X or person X. But, and I know the election outcome the way it should be, but then the boardroom would present me someone else or another political party that I did vote for. And I have to accept because I'm down here, I don't have any uh, power <laughs> to influence the outcome of the elections. Yes, I, I can make decisions. I can say I'm going to vote for Belinda, for example, you know, or I'm going to vote for Timothy. But can we, do we have a system that has transparency you know, to give me what I have voted for. And then, even if you vote the right leader in courts, do we have the right political economy? Do we have the right systems in place to enable them to deliver? Have you seen those people who have, those politicians who are very beautiful manifesto that make a lot of sense, carry a lot of water, mm-hmm. but once they get into, into the elected positions, once they're in office, they can't do anything. You know why? Because they don't really control the mm-hmm. systems. There are people who control the systems. That is why I keep saying we have to fight to change these systems. And we start from this thing that we're doing right now that somebody might think is a small thing, just talking. You know, we just talk, we just have a conversation. And then it might get to the ear of the right person who also agrees that there's a problem and we need to fix it. True. Yeah. Civil conversations are important. Remember, Tim, we were, we, were, we were discussing with you, I think, during the last elections, that we as Kenyans don't seem to know how to have civil conversations. Every, when it comes to politics, our conversations will always, always or often be based off of uh, tribal lines. That's what conversations right. like. That's what mm-hmm. our conversations like. Actually, we were discussing this when, we, when the US was having the elections. So you, I remember you mentioning that you wonder when will you ever get to a point that Kenya will actually sit down and actually like, we as youth will be able to say, you know what? I like what this guy was was bringing to the table. Bringing to the table as far as the economy is concerned, we don't hear that because we don't take our time to we don't take our time to research. We don't take our time to do a background check or anything like that. As Belinda said, that's where it begins. It begins with actually having that first conversation. And Tim, if you if you compare, for example, Tim, um, in your in your view, what do you think stands out as we as Africans, we as Kenyans? What do you think differentiates us in our, in our 
election period in an election process from that of the US, as far as we, let me say the audience, we as a people are concerned, not even our leaders. Mm. That's a very interesting question because at the level of political maturity in other countries and especially countries in the West yeah. is very, very interesting because for them, I think them, they value, okay, let me say this, they have a sense of, they value integrity and good leadership as opposed to most of us in Africa, which is certainly not entirely our fault because as Belinda has mentioned, poverty levels, unemployment is perhaps the highest in the world in Africa. So for us, our mentality is what can I, how can I put food on my table? How can I survive with whatever little that I earn? As opposed to those in the West who to some extent have a better lifestyle and therefore uh, getting food on the table may not be their immediate problem. So then they expand their horizon. That's why you're seeing right now people are competing to go to to Mars. Is it Mars? The, the quest to who can go and ship people to Mars as the first country. That's where they are because they have been able to sort these other basic issues that we are still struggling with here in Africa. So I'm... I'm not sure how we can be able to overcome that, but if we can be able to begin the discussions, have these conversations floating out there, then slowly but surely perceptions will change, mindsets will change, and we'll be able now to, to gauge our politicians on merit as opposed to on how much money they have and how much money they can give to us. I feel like sometimes in Africa we are sort of, we are trapped in this um, Stockholm syndrome, where we've been oppressed for so long that we have fallen in love with the oppressor. And uh -huh. that should not be the case, honestly. And I think the moment for me, I feel we will be heading towards the right direction is if sometimes we also use some of the laws that we have with us that the politician would never remind you of, but if you're just keen enough, you can actually invoke something like, um, since the 2010 constitution was promulgated, now this is the 11th year, 11 years, I have not once seen constituents use the recall your member of parliament clause, which is in the constitution. So we will always complain, oh, my MP doesn't do this, oh, my senator doesn't do this, oh, my governor doesn't do this. But the law is already there that you as the citizens, as the voters, can actually recall your member of parliament. And I crave, I pray, in fact, I'm obsessed with us getting to a day where at least one member of parliament will be recalled and taken back to the ballot because the electorate is sick and tired and fed up of the lies, of the, of the games being played with them. I mean, we live in a country where a member of parliament shot somebody in a nightclub on CCTV camera. Everybody saw it. Everybody knows it. But that member of parliament is walking free, continuing with his duties, and has a high chance of being re-elected next year. Absolutely. That's the kind of country we live in. And it's crazy. If you think about it, it is crazy. And sometimes it's even, it makes you angry to some extent. But like I said, Stockholm Syndrome, we've been su suppressed and oppressed for so long, we've fallen in love with the oppressor. You know, Tim, what, ha what happens is that people cannot fight what they don't understand. And also you cannot defend a right which you don't stop, you're not mm. aware of. So our young people don't even know their rights as enshrined in the Constitution. 
you see because somebody would tell you like i was talking to a few students from a certain university and they were like ah belinda we know there's a constitution but now you have to you need bundles you know to log in somewhere and get the soft copy of the constitution you know so it boils down to the issue of we don't have money okay but imagine if we have responsible people like if you have more josh and timothy doing this reaching out to young people teaching them about their rights as enshrined in the constitution they become aware Okay. Now, once they're aware of their rights in the constitution, now they can start to fight to, to defend it. But here we have a crop of young people who don't even know mm. what the constitution is. They don't know what the constitution says about leadership and, and accountability. They don't know what the constitution says about uh, leadership and, and, and integrity. They don't know their rights. So we have to, like, we have to keep working. You and I, we have to keep working to make sure that. Uh, these young people know, uh, understand the constitution, they understand their rights, they understand the power they hold in the constitution. Then they can use it to make good the leadership of this country. That's true. And the thing you mentioned, I mean, it's really crazy to to think, like as you mentioned earlier, to think that somebody will do what they've done with great evidence and they're still walking and would still go ahead and campaign and they're still in great consideration to sit on that seat again. And the thing is, we get angry. But the way, as I think as Kenyans, we know how to get angry and we know how to complain very, very well. But it seems like the closer we get to elections, this that anger seems to fade away. Like it just it just seems to just to go away. And now when you move move the conversation forward to now the aspect of fear, you know, now for me, I'm I'm always uh, I'm always advocating for what can I do as an individual because the thing mm-hmm. is, we often have very little control of what happens to us but we do have control over how we can respond to what does happen exactly. to us. And so in a political yeah. sphere, there's so many things, because somebody may, may argue, I can I can imagine somebody listening to this and saying, but Kenya, like it's owned by people. You understand? That's what somebody would say. And so they'd be like, why should I vote when the person who's gonna win is gonna win anyway? Why should I do? Why should I try and 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 get angry on Twitter or try and call the DCI on on a particular person when they're just gonna bribe them anyway and get and leave scot free and go again? But now me as an individual, as a team, me 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 as Joshua as team, as a Kenyan, what can I do better? As an individual to safeguard myself in the lead up to the elections, what can I do better to to is it in my decision making? Is it in how I run my business? How can I do with all the fears that are there? What can I actually do to safeguard myself? Um, I would say before Belinda answers, I would say it's a personal initiative to some extent, as much as also we have such platforms like the podcast, the Bridge Africa Foundation those platforms would be null and void if somebody doesn't say, okay, um, let me listen to all the 2030 podcasts put out this week. Let me visit Bridge Africa's website and find out how they're helping mobilize. Can I donate? Can I volunteer? It also, when you look at it, it boils right down to an individual's own quest, own initiative, self-initiative to try Mm -hmm. and make their life much better. And the more people do that collectively, the community then becomes much better. Like uh, when you mentioned the issue of like mentioned the recalling of a member of parliament in the constitution, go out, find out if I want to recall somebody, I'm unhappy. What's the best way I can recall my member of parliament? 
Um, to try and get that material, we live in a generation where everything is on the internet. You, you may not have to download it. You can just read it and leave it on the internet, but make that extra effort. And once you've already sort of come of age, you've matured in terms of your mental thought process and what factors you look at when you're voting, why not try? For me, I would say the simplest thing for me, and sometimes simplicity is the utmost form of sophistication, is spread it around your circles, our circles of influence. So I have three best friends and I've read something that I feel would help me as a voter. Why not share this with also three or four of your friends. Oh, by the way, guys, we're heading into an election. I don't know about you guys, but I, I want to be informed. These are the materials you can go through and make a better informed decision. So I think that's where it all begins. And when you see even revolutions in the world currently and even in history, revolutions didn't begin. And when I say revolutions, I don't mean going out, burning people, fighting. I mean overhauling years of a system, a mental system, a structural system that is oppressive. How you turn the tide in overcoming such systems is by beginning like what Belinda said, having such conversations. And once you're knowledgeable, try and spread that to other people who may not be as exposed to that knowledge. I remember in 2017, I think I was having this discussion with you, Josh, and we've had very many of such discussions. You remember one time we were talking about who do you think would be best suited for governor of Nairobi? Do you remember, Josh, yeah, us having yeah. that conversation? Yeah. Yes, you remember. And I remember, we, for me, I rem at that time I had not made a decision, but it boiled down to two candidates whom I felt were the most um, suitable to govern a the city of Nairobi. And my decision was not based on tribe. In fact, those two that had boiled down to, none of them was Luo, none of them was my tribe. Uh -huh. But I was looking at, so what is this manifesto? Is it practical? Can I be able to vote and say after three years, four years, five years, I'll be able to hold this person to account? Unfortunately, many young people don't look at it that way. And sometimes uh -huh. I feel like as the youth, we are too lazy to think for ourselves. So we need a politician to think for us. You remember when the BBI drumbeats were beating so high, you would read even on social media, somebody saying, ah, mimi akuna jani some BBI, you, baba asha soma BBI on my behalf. Na imagine. Can imagine. you imagine? We are too lazy imagine. to think for our own selves that somebody else has to do the thinking for us so that we can make a decision for ourselves. It is sad, but for me, ultimately, the initiative has to start from within, from our own selves, spread it out to our circles and hope our circles continue that trend until eventually a revolution happens. Exactly. You know, it boils down to a personal initiative, like Timothy has put it. You have to look around you and be able to have that, um, you know, change mentality, positive change mentality that, you know what, this is happening around me and I have the power to change it. So once you have that mentality, good. Now you spread it around your circle. You start with the closest person that you have to try and also instill that positive mentality in them, despite what is going on in our environment. You know, mentality has a different mindset in terms of how we view our challenges as a solution-minded um, approach to our challenges. Then that is how we can be able to change our system. 
and eventually change our governance. Because when you go to the voting ballot, for example, with that mentality, then you're going to vote based on what somebody can deliver and not based on what tribe they come from or who is their mentor or what they give us, but just based on what we expect from them, their ability to deliver as leaders. I think it's very funny. If you remember, Tim, where we used to stay, there used to be this road um, around that was so bad. Remember? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. very bad. And I can never forget how the during, uh, I think the last, I believe it was the last elections, that's the time now the MPs would spring up. Hey, the MPs would come full force and saying, this road, we're going to make this road for you. This one is 100% going to do this thing for you. I remember looking at that person, I'm wondering, but you were here before. Like, you were, you were actually seated the same, in the same, same pledge. Yeah, you're sitting in the same seat and you're telling me the same thing over and over again. A lot of times when you question them, and then when you go ahead, another thing that is an issue again, we don't have the platforms to question them as much, or at least we think we don't have the platforms to, to, to question them. Or we think that the platforms that we do use as Iwafiki, like they may never hear our voice. And so I'm really grateful for platforms like Bridge Africa. I really like what you're doing by spreading that message across to the, to the youth, because the thing is this, if we can convince one Kenyan youth who can convince their friend and their friend convinces the other friend, like a steam set, that's a revolution starting. The revolution starts with a mindset change. When people start to realize, by the way, it shouldn't be like this. And I was feeling like we are getting that thing. But they, leading up to, I think when they started seeing fuel prices rise and, and all these things happen, people would really, really complain a lot. Mm. And it felt like people were getting angry. I don't know if you felt that, like especially like on Twitter. I felt like people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. But Konamali, that anger just... just went away yeah it just is it just it just dissolves and i think for me what i would say is like i, I don't want to say carry the anger but that that mindset that we do have let's not forget it i wonder belinda let me ask i wonder um do you guys specifically target um university students or the youth in general and the reason why i ask this question is because uh-huh. um, I went to a public university in Kenya and there's something really interesting that I saw when I was there and I feel like this is where the breeding ground for negative ethnicity in politics starts. The in exactly. university, at least where I was, there are these they call themselves societies, tribal societies mm-hmm. where Every week they have a meeting, like for instance, you hear, so on Saturday, there'll be a Kisi students welfare meeting. At the same time, there is a Mijikenda students welfare. And when you attend these meetings, because I, I was so curious, I attended one. I just wanted to find out. So what is discussed in these meetings? I attended one and believe you me, what they were talking about is how they can be able to get one member from their community elected into the students' council and how many students of that tribe are in campus, how can they marshal these students to vote for their tribe mate so that their tribe mate is in the student council. And these are people who are in university. You would expect they would be the saviors of our generation. So how much, how much worse may it be for the youth who are in the village who are not as exposed as these ones in university. And, and that's why I'm asking that question. How do you think no, we can be able to go to universities and try and shift that? Because I believe that is the genesis of where negative ethnicity in politics in Kenya begins. 
Now, my response to that is going to be twofold. I'm going to respond on the issue of tribal societies in our universities and also our target audience as, as an organization. Mm. So, you know what, Timothy, I mean, look at it this way. Imagine if you had those tribal societies talking about how can you grow our economy in Kisi, mm. for example. Okay, exactly. like what do we have in Kisi? So we are young people, we are five of us, and we think in Kisi there's a lot of banana. How can we do, what is the value chain that we can be able to come up with to improve to make bananas the source of income and to grow the economy of Kisi out of it. But no, we don't do that. Instead, we push our political agendas through the tribal cocoons that we have in our university. So that's unfortunate. So mm. if the grouping is concerned with growing our economy, that, that, that would be fantastic. But that's not the point. What we have are tribal uh, groupings in our universities talking about how do you push that luo out of that seat? Mm. How do you push that kikuyu out of that seat? It's not how do we harness the resources that we have in Kisi to grow our infrastructure, to, to build schools, to, you know, to, to have peace, you know, to have better internet. We don't do that. Look, look at our uh, political landscape now in Kenya. Look at the ex, how many ex-university students, leaders do we have as cabinet secretaries, as politicians, as people holding higher offices? So many of them, right? Yeah. So that is why we thought, let us target these people when they are in their higher learning institutions. As they join politics in their institutions, they learn how to have civil political organizations. They learn how to be uh, empathetic political leaders. They learn how to be solution-oriented. They learn about constructive political conversations and how to have those conversations. That is why we are targeting them at the university. But we are not limited to just reaching out to them at the universities. We go outside. For example, right now the Peace Caravan, the, the Bridge Africa is running in Kenya. We did pilot program at the Technical University of Kenya. Next, we're going to Kabarak. Then we go to Karachina University. And then we're going to go to the other universities. But they are not, we, are all, we are not only reaching out to young people. We are also reaching out to the people who are in positions of influence that are influencing their mind to behave like that. So we're also reaching out to religious leaders. We are reaching out to the county governments. We are reaching out to the local civil society organizations. We are, we are reaching out to local leadership. Uh, by local leadership, I mean chiefs. You know, government leaderships at the lowest level in the village. So everybody will be reached at the end of the day. So yes, we are highly student-centered, but we also work with university administrations and we also work with other organizations and we also work with other members of the society. You know, because we can't fix one segment and leave the other because the problem will still be there. But we are targeting these young people, particularly because they're the ones who leave university and then they join politics, they join now the mainstream politics and they end up in our parliament and they end up in positions of influence. Give us a parting shot for everybody who's listening to us, um, who's listening to us in our audience. What would you like them to know? So, so what I'd like everybody listening to us to know is that for as long as you're not tired enough with what is happening, it will, you will just continue to let it happen. But when you are tired enough, you'll begin to do something about it. And you don't need much to create positive change. You just need to identify the right people and join hands with them and say, you know what, we're tired of these high living standards uh, in Kenya. We can have a petition, go to parliament and tell these people to reduce the cost of fuel. You know, and we're tired of politicians coming to incite us to fight each other and live together for years. So we're not going to do it. You know, we refuse to do it. So you have to, what I'm saying is you have to do something about that negative thing you're seeing around you to make it positive. You don't wait for the government to do it because the government may not have your interest at, at heart, you know, or the government may do it, but it may not be able to reach you down there where you are. Exactly. So you have to be the creator of that positive change that you want to see around you and in your country.
I believe that what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And I'm so grateful that you made the time to be with us, Belinda. Thank you so, so thank you, much. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. The audience for listening to this episode, we hope that you will take some steps uh, towards making positive change all around you. This is a yeah. very important conversation and Tim, I know that this will be the last one that we have. I know leading up to 2022. Yeah, we will have many, many more. Uh, to ensure that we make better decisions and better judgment leading up to it. I'll see you tomorrow. Recall your MP. Rec- you still have time. <laughs> you can recall your MP up to six months before the general election. Yeah. So I think up to February in your deadline, you can still recall your member of parliament. Imagine, you know, they, it's good to know this. You know, know that team. Use that clause. I didn't know that team. You, you didn't What's know? It? Now that's why we have this podcast. I actually didn't know that, by the way. So thanks for letting me know. Yeah, you can. Thanks for that. And I'm still waiting for the day Kenyans will recall at least one member of parliament. I'll really be happy. And let's see how it goes, my way. Yeah, so that's been it for this episode. Thank you once again for listening. Remember, you can always engage with us at the 2030 Podcast on Instagram. As we always say, we like to hear from you. We like to have you uh, be a part of our conversations because at the end of the day, this yeah. podcast is not about us. It is about you. It's about, it's about you. you. So thank you so much for listening once again and have a fantastic week ahead. My name is Joshua Fulorunso. My name is Timothy Otieno. And this has been the 2030 Podcast. Have a great week ahead. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.